This is going to be one dope sermon. Um, I, I did that for the sake of somebody else, not for you. So um, I have no idea if this is going to be a dope sermon or not, and I'm not even sure what a dope sermon is. So uh, my name is Tim Nugent. I uh, have been or was an elder here for a long time. Um, I, as I was studying Ezra and Nehemiah over the last couple weeks, as you saw from the, uh, from the cartoon, I, video, I'm not sure what that is, but it leaves you unsatisfied. Hopefully my sermon will not do the same. But I am convinced that that is the point of Ezra, Nehemiah. As we've been looking at Route 66, and I've been traveling uh, across the country recently, Route 66 has lots of stops along the way. And if you were to stop at any one of those, you probably would not be satisfied with any one of those towns. But we all highlight Route 66, right? How's oh, this great journey? And I am convinced that our study through Scripture as a highlight in our own life is much like that, is that there are many stops along the way. But if we were to camp out at one particular place, we would not be satisfied because it gives us a sense, much like Ezra and Nehemiah does, that we're already there, but not yet. And as we look at Ezra and Nehemiah today, and as you saw this video, I will be honest with you, I'm not quite sure where this sermon's going to go today. Because as, as I've been praying through this, I was writing it, God was moving me in one direction, or I was, and, and there's some other things that are on my heart that I want to share, and I'm not sure if we'll get there or not, but we'll see where God takes it all. So will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for who you are, for what you are doing, that you are a mighty God and that you are a God of providence, that you are a God that sees the entire route and that your hand is upon it all. I pray today that your Holy Spirit would move upon the people here, move through me to these people, that you would meet people where they're at and that you would move us towards you, that you would give us the hope that only you can bring, Father, for you are indeed a God that has his hand upon life and who has his hand upon everything we do. So Father, I pray, God, by your mercy and by your grace that you would speak today. In Jesus' name, amen. I was, uh, as I was preparing, I was reading, I was looking for uh, some, some movie or something that would, would uh, highlight a bad ending. And I, I couldn't necessarily find any, but I did find a couple books online and some comments about those books. Um, and, and I will admit I didn't read either one of these books, but I do, am familiar kind of with them. But this kind of highlights what Ezra and Nehemiah is. The Twilight series, how many people know what the Twilight series is? Really? Really, Lori? Wow. <laughs> You know what? Thank you for being honest. Rick, you may want to get her out more. Um, <laughs> the Twilight series, and this was just a, a, 
uh, one of the comments on the books is that a whole book planning a huge war between the Collins and the... Oh, see, you all know. You've been reading it. (laughs) 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 Only for it never to happen. How frustrating is that? You read the whole book going, here it comes. No. Cold Mountain. I do know this book, or at least, but it says the whole book is about a Civil War soldier struggling to get back to his wife. When he finally gets home, he dies. (laughs) (laughs) Well played, sir. Well played. I just saved you a whole bunch of time. This is what Ezra Nehemiah is like. When I saw the cartoon, that's how I refer to it, you see those three holes in each of the movements, if you will, of the returning of the Israelites. Let me, let me uh, give you a little bit of historicity. So we, we get the, the Israelites, they've been kicked out of the land because of their own sin, because they broke the contract that they had with God. And he said, you are not obeying the covenant. You're out of the land. That tore them apart. So the Assyrians, the Babylons, take, the, take them and move them out. But hope springs eternal. And God said, I will return you back to the land. If you look at Jeremiah 31, um, I'm probably taking you out of sequence here, Devin, but um, if you look at Jeremiah 31, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is some of the hope that they were looking forward to. It goes on to talk about them returning to the land. This is where they were thinking. So, We get into Ezra and Nehemiah, and we realize that these people were going to return to the land. And when they return to the land, this is what they're thinking. So Zerubbabel comes in. And Zerubbabel's a very interesting character. And he's very interesting, and it's important for us to understand where he falls into the line of David. Because we need to understand and feel what the Israelites were expecting here. Because Ezra and Nehemiah is about expectation. So Ezra is returned, Zerubbabel takes a bunch of people and goes back to the land. But Zerubbabel was in the line of David. So they're expecting that this, this man will be a return to the kingdom. That's the first thing they were expecting. They were expecting that the temple will be rebuilt, which is what Zerubbabel ended up doing. If you look at Ezra chapter 3, verse 11, he says, says this, And the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So right there we see it was being done. They're getting excited. We've got somebody in the line of David leading us. The foundation of the temple's been laid. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We are returning back to the glorious kingdom of Israel. Then we get into verse 12. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. 
There's this disunity. It's like, ah, we're already here, but not yet. And then the opposition occurs. And we see work on the temple stops. And then it starts. And then it's finally finished. So it's this up and down. So the people are going through a wave. Ever been there in your life? I'm there right now. This last year has been one of the toughest for my family and I. It's this up and down. I'm a believer. I know Christ. But I'm not quite there yet. I get to come to church. I see the glory of God in the church. And I see this excitement. But it's not completed yet. That's Ezra and Nehemiah. Then we move on to the next part. We move on to, we move on to Ezra coming back. Ezra is a priest. He's a Levite. He's coming back. He has, he has the authority of the king to go and do that. And he's going to restore the spiritual, the community, the Torah back into the land. And he starts to do that. He reads the law. It's this amazing scene. Everyone confesses. And we get excitement again. The temple's in place. Ezra's come back. There's more spiritual renewal. And then no. Again, there are pe- there's this, and you saw it in the, in the cartoon, um, that pe- they were married to foreign wives. And, and there was this, this isn't right, but we don't know how to fix it. So divorce your wives. And it, and it just leaves us wanting more. And then finally, Nehemiah. Nehemiah comes in, and he's going to repair the walls. Walls were so important for setting the community, protection, security, and it defined the city. It defined the city. Nehemiah comes in, and if you want, uh, it's, it's my wife's favorite biblical uh, person. I don't want to say character because it makes it sound like a f- uh, uh, novel, and it's not. It's truth. It's history. So he comes in, great leadership model, amazing man. He has the blessing of the king, God's providential hand moving them along. And Ezra, or Nehemiah comes in and he repairs the walls. Things are looking good. He comes in, he sees Ezra, Ezra's there as well, they're contemporaries and, and they're working in, and he highlights the Sabbath. You've got to stop working on the Sabbath. You've got to bring back Torah. You've got to get right again. And it happens. And we think this is the conclusion we're looking for. This is, we finally arrived. But no, the soldier dies at the end. Why? Because Ezra or Nehemiah goes around after he goes back home and he com- or he goes back to, to the capital city and sees the king and then comes back to examine the walls and examine Israel. And what does he find? He finds the place in disarray. He finds that Torah law has been broken. Sabbath is not being kept. They're not, they're not obeying the covenant which got them kicked out of the land in the first place. What's, what's Nehemiah thinking? Oh, man. Here we go again. We're going to get kicked out again. All this stuff, you people, I, you people are idiots. <laughs> I imagine, I mean, the guy had to be just furious. It'd be like, we totally confess in this church. We lay everything down before God. 
We admit to each other. We take care of our brother and sister, and we see revival beginning. And then what do we do? We go around and sleep around with everyone. We go around and, and we, we spend our money on drugs. We spend our money on foreign gods. We bring them in, and we just forget God. It's really not that far from the truth for all of us. We forget God all the time. I know I do. And Nehemiah, the leader, comes in and goes, what were you thinking? And it leaves us wanting. Sounds a lot like life. Sounds a ton like life. That's the already. There is restoration in the midst of it, folks. They're back in the land. There is some hope there. But it's not complete yet. And I think if there is a message in Ezra and Nehemiah, it is this. There's restoration. God is a God of restoration. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you need from God. I know what this church needs. We need restoration. We've been through some tough, tough things over the last eight years. We've, we've lost pastors. We've had some scandals of our own, which is really just life and people being people. We've been in this. We need restoration, do we not? It's okay to say yes. Thank you. We need restoration. But no matter who comes and fills this pulpit, no matter what person comes in here, we'll be like, yes! I know the glorious moment in this, one of the glorious moments in this church was when this was built. And I, and I know that there were times in this church where like when we got staff on board and we're like, yeah, here we go. It was an exciting time. Already, but not yet. Because we cannot put our hope in the temporary. We cannot put our hope in a world that has fallen. Yes, God is in the business of restoration. And if you read Ezra and Nehemiah, if you look at Ezra chapter 5, verse 5, look at this. He says, But the eye of their God was watching over the elders of the Jews, and they were not stopped until a report could go to Darius and his written reply be received. This is dealing with carrying on the work. But the point in seeing that, and you'll see these things if you study Ezra and Nehemiah, you'll see those things all over, phrases like that. God's providential hand was on this work. God's providential hand is in your life. He is in my life. I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. His hand is working. But I will tell you, it's not already there yet. Turn to Revelation, or I'm, I, take a look at, uh, go to slide six. I'm sorry, I'm totally out of, Devin's going, where am I? Because I'm way off script. Ezra 10.14 says this. I need my glasses. Let our officials stand for the whole assembly. Let all in our cities who have taken foreign wives come at appointed times, and with them the elders and judges of every city, 
until the wrath of our God over this matter is turned away from us. This is the already, right? They're like, we're here. We're confessing. And we need that God turned away, that anger turned away from us. But let's look at the not yet. This is what God really wanted to do in Romans 5, 6, and 11. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, this is the contrast. We have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Do you see the difference? Do you see that in one hand, they're appeasing God? That's the already. They're there. They're able to appease God, but not yet. Jeremiah 31 says, and you can leave it there, Devin. Jeremiah 31 says, I'm going to put a new heart in them. I'm going to change something in them that makes them able to obey me, that gives them hope. That's what Romans 5, 6 through, or 8, 8, 6 through 11 is the whole verse, but that's what that says. We have appeased God, not by our, by our actions in Ezra, but by Christ's sacrifice on the cross. We have full justification already, but not yet. That's where they were. But folks, that's also where we're at. We have a new heart. Look at Galatians 5. It talks about the fruits of the Spirit is joy, peace, patience, loving, kindness. That's not what was happening in Ezra. We have the ability to obey God now through his Holy Spirit. It's not perfect. We will sin. Look at 1 John. But we have the ability by Christ, by the Holy Spirit, when we call upon him to actually obey him. We couldn't do that in Ezra. We have the ability, we are now justified before God. If you are a sinner here today, take great hope and peace. The fact that you do not need to be ashamed anymore because Christ has done the work. You live in a different reality than those that do not know Christ. If you don't know Christ today, you, all you can do is appease this angry God who loves you and has made a way for you. You can't do it without him. So if you don't know Christ here today, I beg of you, I beseech you, I urge you, fall on your knees before him and ask him, make it right, because he will. He loves you. He loves us, and he wants to change your life. But we are already, but not yet, because we live in a fallen world. Look at Revelations 21. Go to slide 7, if you would. Revelations 21, 3 through 4. Turn to Revelations, because I want to end here in this Revelations, because this is the not yet, and this is where our eyes are at the end of the route. This is where we are going, and we should celebrate over this. It says this. Look, 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place. 
place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Is that not amazing hope? It's not fully realized yet, I don't think. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling with us, but we haven't fully realized this. Verse 18 says, The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. That's Nehemiah's hope re-envisioned. Verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city. Well, gosh, is that incomplete? No, listen to this. Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are, his, are its temple. Jesus himself identified himself as, as the temple. He said, you tear this temple down and I'll, dist- I'll bring it back in three days. He was talking about the resurrection. He is the temple. He is our hope. He is everything. And the temple will be with us physically. This is already, but not yet. 21, 24 through 25, we see unity between the nations. Oh my gosh, will that not be amazing? We won't have to pick up the paper anymore and see, oh, South, North Korea this, oh, the U.S. this, China that. I'm, oh man, I'm so glad. Papers will be very different in heaven. 22, 3 through 5, the kingdom restored. We will have a king but it will be a glorious, perfect king. And then 22.3, this is amazing. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. There is no more curse in heaven. No more death. No more weeds. No more childbirth or pain. <laughs> it, I don't think that's a big deal, but... Um, But there will be no more curse in heaven. That is hope. Do we have it already? Yes. We're, 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 God's moving us. We have a hope that, that this world desperately needs. But we're still kind of in this. But we have a not yet. And that not yet is heaven. That not yet is the restoration of what God's going to do. God is in the business of restoration. So what is our response to restoration? Our response to respiration is breathing. Um, Our response to restoration is threefold. First off, repentance. We saw that in Ezra and Nehemiah. I don't know where you are today, but I guarantee you all of us have things we can lay before the throne. But our response is not, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to appease you. Our response is, God, I'm sorry and thank you for restoring me and giving me a hope and that I don't have to appease you anymore because I'm righteous because of what because Christ's righteousness is in me, right? And that leads us to joy and celebration. We do not celebrate well. We should be up on our feet. Yell out right now, praise the Lord, right? 
Yes. Why? Because he has done it all. Joy, celebration. The Israelites actually knew how to party. I'm convinced of that. We do not party well. You know, the world parties so much better. I went to Chico State. Yeah. I know how to party. I might have been involved in setting a sofa on fire, okay? Okay, I wasn't. I was just watching it. But burn, burn. I'm... <laughs> the statute of limitations is gone on that. Um, but the world knows how to party. We as Christians should be partying. I remember when I was at Chico, we'd actually get drunk people coming to some of our Christian parties after I went through that phase because they're like, wait, you guys are weird, but this sounds cool. You know, we as a church should be partying and celebrating because we have something to celebrate. And then finally, hope. Route 66 is about hope. It's a journey. We're already here, but we're not yet there. If you're in a bad place today, if you're hurting, if there's not joy, if, there's, if you're like, I don't know where to go, I don't know what tomorrow leads. My friends have left me. I feel alone. I feel abandoned. I don't know what's just around the corner. Let me tell you, maybe not around the next corner, but I will tell you this, two things. God's providential hand is in it, and he knows what's going on in your life. And he loved you enough to die for you. He will carry you through this stuff. And we as the body need to be taking care of each other. Please, I beg of you, do that. Don't leave each other alone. But God's providential hand, regardless of what you people do with each other, he will carry you with it. But our hope, even greater than the already, is in the not yet. This is going to be an amazing thing. I will see you people in heaven, Lord willing. And I say that more about myself than you. There is a hope and a great hope. So as we enter into communion, as Craig comes up to, to lead us in communion, take some time. Repent. But don't let this necessarily be a downer of a time. Remember what Christ has done for you. And if you don't know Christ, if you don't know Christ, lay that garbage down before him. It's going to be like this, folks, and that's where we need each other. But there is a hope, and that hope is Christ, and that hope is coming again. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Yes! Thank you. Thank you, Cindy. Somebody get it. That's a preaching. Father, I thank you, Lord, for what you are doing and what you Lord, you've already done it. You will do it. Time means nothing to you. You see the entire journey. I pray for your mercies, God. I pray for your blessings. I pray for your hand upon this church and in our lives. And I pray whoever needs this today, whoever needs your touch, that, you, that they would hear your calling, God, 
to lay it down before you and confess their sins to you and that you will change their life because of what you did on the cross. Thank you for your righteousness in Jesus' name.